Hi, my name is Muluk, and the Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. But there will be no bloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The word of the Lord. Hi, I'm Lillian. The New Testament reading is found in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against things like this. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Samuela. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 1, verses 39 to 45. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea, to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. You may be seated. Well, what a beautiful thing it is to journey together through this season. Um, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago that the church calendar is really, it's not an instrument of legalism or bondage or saying, hey, no, it's, you know, it's this and not that. The whole reason we do this is because as humans, as people, we need a way of marking time. But we need more than that. We need a way of marking time that also reminds us of our hope. And so the church calendar is a way of saying, look, this, we trace through the life of Christ. We trace through the longing for Christ to come during Advent. And then at Christmas, we celebrate His birth and His arrival, the incarnation. And then shortly after that, during Epiphany, we, we celebrate the fact that this child who has come is really God, the Son of God, the King of all. And we have this Epiphany. And then we journey through Lent when we remember that Christ was made low so that there's no experience that we go through in life no pain, no doubt, no grief that Jesus has not also walked through. And it's from that road of, through Lent that we make it to the cross and we see what Christ has done for us at Calvary. And then from the cross, the joy and the surprise of Easter. And then out of Easter into the season of Pentecost where we say, behold, this new ki- this king who, is, who has ascended to a throne has now sent out us as his people as his ambassadors, as his commissaries. And we journey through this church calendar as a way of marking time to remind us of Christ, to connect us to the great company of the people of God. And hasn't it been wonderful during these Sundays in Advent to hear the special music each week? Isn't that amazing? 
I should mention that all of these people are actually members of New Life Downtown. So, wow. Uh, you never know who you're sitting next to, you know, people who play in the symphony and all of that. Of course, last week when Greg was playing the bassoon, he sat with his bassoon in church, so you did know it was him, you know. <laughs> that was kind of a giveaway, but it was right there. Just held it. But here we are this third week, and we're talking about joy. But joy is such a funny thing, isn't it? Because when you hear the word joy, maybe you have one of these three reactions to it. Maybe you think, okay, the way to have joy, or at least the Christian sense of it, is to fake it. If you want joy, you got to just pretend like you have it. And so when you come to church, you sort of have been trained that the proper answer to how are you is great. Which, by the way, I talked to a few people, at least two this morning, who said, actually not great. And I just want to say thank you for that. And thanks for going on and sharing a little bit about that. Even though there's nothing I can do to fix the circumstance, that doesn't stop us from being honest with one another, does it? Right? So I appreciate that. So we say, okay, well, the faking it option, that's not a good option. And then we think, well, well maybe, maybe the other option is what we were taught, some of us in Sunday school, that if you want joy, you must you know, clap for it if you want, or, or if you want joy, you must dance for it or jump for it. And then, and then as if that weren't manipulative enough, we have a whole verse where we, he, 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 ho, ho, ha, ha, whatever, you know, where we're trying to get the kids to laugh. They're saying, look, we got joy. We've got joy. And so basically, if you want joy, you've got to work for it. And that's maybe the message that some of us heard growing up in church, that if you want joy, you've got to work for it. You've got to pray harder, you've got to fast more, you've got to do more stuff. And if you really did, then brother, you would have joy. And if you don't have joy, well, what is wrong with you, sister? And so then we say, well, maybe none of those are good options. And so where a lot of us end up is we give up on it. And so we say, well, I'm not willing to fake it, and I'm sure not willing to work for it, because it doesn't seem to work. And so I just give up on it. And so when I say that today is Joy Sunday, some of you cringe a little on the inside because you think, joy, where? And maybe if we could, just at the outset here, take a moment to allow ourselves to be honest about this. Because when you see things that happen in the world, you think, where? Where is this joy? Why is it that around December, Advent, right before Christmas, Why is it we're always reminded of the painful moments in our life, the losses, the loss of a child, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a parent, the loss of a friendship, the loss of a relationship? We feel these things more acutely this time of year. And so it almost seems like pouring salt in a wound to say, it's Joy Sunday. And you're like, you turn into Scrooge. Isaiah 9, our Old Testament reading For the day is a fascinating passage because the prophet is talking about something that's coming in the midst of some very difficult and dark moments. Verse 1 of chapter 9, he's picking up after having just told them in chapter 8 that look, there is coming a darkness and there's coming a grief and there's coming a pain that's almost too much to speak of. So the prophet doesn't give the, the words that we would, might want to give that says, hey, everything's going to be fine. You're going to be rich. You're going to be successful. You're going to have the best whatever in your life. But the prophet says, that's going to be awful. Not going to lie. And you wonder why they didn't like him. But then he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. Now in 722 BC, the Assyrians came and took the northern region, the kingdom that was called Israel. 
The southern region was called Judah. They had two tribes, but ten were, were up north. And Assyria came in 722 BC in a series of raids to this northern region. But the Assyrians were ruthless people. When you hear stories of ruthless empires, Assyria had to be at the top of that list. They would drag away prisoners but with fish hooks in their cheeks. They did everything they could to split up families and, and massacre innocents. They did everything they could to make sure that these tribes, that these people didn't survive. They, they, they took them off to different places, splitting them up so that these tribes would be dis- disintegrated forever. And Zebulon and Naphtali were, were two of the towns that were hardest hit, if you will, by the Assyrian invasion. And the prophet says, in former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then this great promise, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. If you look at the images in this verse, you'll recognize something. That joy is coming to them in a way that is surprising. In a way that is even beyond what they expected or deserved. It's coming to people who sit in darkness. It's coming like light that just appears. It's coming like a harvest that all of a sudden begins springing up out of the ground. It's coming like the spoils that they didn't deserve. Listen, joy is a gift. Joy is a gift. It's not the product of working for something. It is when it appears a gift. A few chapters later, Isaiah gives this marvelous promise. He says, there shall come forth a shoot From the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now we read verses like these around Christmas time, and it might be the only time of the year that we hear verses like this, because any other time of the year we don't pretend to know what this means. Like the stump of Jesse. (laughs) It got me. I don't know what that means. Jesse was the father of King David. The promise to the people of God in the Old Testament, the promise that represented for them hope and peace and prosperity was that they were going to have a king that would rule and his line out from his line would come one who would rule forever and ever and ever and so david when david becomes kings and he king and he unites the tribes and he leads them in great victories all of a sudden the people of god are saying okay here it is we've got peace we've got prosperity we've got unity this is this is glorious And then his son Solomon comes on the throne and the wealth is multiplied. And they're thinking, this is it. May it be that the king's reign shall never end. And so you read phrases in the Psalms where they're blessing the king and they're saying, God save the king. God, let it be. We like this. And then all of a sudden, fast forward several years and you get to these tragic stories where the last king of the northern region the last king of the southern region, get carried off into captivity, get destroyed. And the image here of a stump is a tree that you thought was going to be a great tree that would provide shade and shelter. Remember, there's this image in the Old Testament of being a great tree in which many birds would come and rest. It's the image of peace and rest and shelter. And all of a sudden, the prophet's saying, boom, 
That tree has been cut off, and now all you have is a stump. The line of Jesse, the line of the great king, is, o- is over. It's ended. A couple of weeks ago, we went up into the forest, a first for me, not the, going up into the forest, although, yeah, anyway. Um, but we went to go cut down a Christmas tree, and um, there, were these, there were these rules, you know, when you do this up at Rampart Range, you know, you're not supposed to, what do they call it, you're not supposed to top the tree, you're not supposed to just cut off the top, which we did not. Um, but it's interesting because you walk around and, you know, we were sort of late in the season, I guess, to cut one down, and so you see these stumps everywhere. And you have this visual here for something that you're not sure if it's going to come back or not. Now, maybe with these trees, they will, but just the image of a stump where it's, it's over. Or if you've ever driven up to the forest after, say, the attack of the beetles or a forest fire, and you see all these trees that have been cut down. And where there once was this rich, thick forest, there's just stump after stump after stump. It's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty low feeling. And I wonder if, that's a picture for sometimes how we feel in life. Maybe there's a situation that you think of and you say, well, you know, this happened and then because this happened, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of over, isn't it? I mean, we kind, of, we kind of hit the stump. We sort of hit the end, the end of the road maybe. Sometimes it's a loss that makes us feel that way. We say, well... We had all these hopes. We were going to do this. We were going to go here. You know, church, we ought not to be afraid to listen to those who are in It doesn't mean you have answers. In fact, it's better if you don't. It's better if you don't offer trite sayings of, well, don't worry. It's gonna be. Sometimes the gift that you can bring is presence, and the gift that you gain is learning what it's like to listen to a person in grief. For over a year now, I've sat almost every week with a young man who I did their premarital counseling, I did their wedding, met with them as a couple just every month or so after, just because they're just a wonderful couple. Got the call one night that I needed to come to the hospital because his wife had been in a car accident. Sat with him in the ER just minutes after he got the word that she had passed. And I've met with him every week since that night. Unless he's been out of town or I've been out of town, more or less every week. And most of what I've done is listen. Listen to what it feels like to feel like you've been stumped. Like something's been cut off. Like it's over. And it's good to hear that. It's good to enter into someone else's sorrow Because the Bible is full of moments like that. The Bible is full of moments that validate our pain and our grief and say, yeah, yeah, it does feel like that. It's okay to say that. We had so many dreams. We were going to do this. We were going to go here. Chances are all of you can think of something like that. And the question that burns deep underneath the grief is, is this it? Is this the end? Is the tree stump the end? And Isaiah is saying, in the midst of this grief and in the midst of this shock of exile, Isaiah is saying, behold, little shoots will come out from the stump. It's not over. 
something is going to come breaking up, something unexpected, something surprising, something that reminds us that this is not the end. See, for all of our work for happiness, happiness is maybe a pursuit, but joy is a gift. So much of our life is spent saying, oh, I've got to work for this. If I get this thing and if I get this raise, and this job, I am then going to have this because happiness is our pursuit. But we're missing it because there's something deeper that nothing, no pursuit could ever bring. It's joy. And joy is a gift because it surprises us. It shows up out of nowhere when we weren't expecting it. And all of a sudden, We say, wait a minute, wait, what? What was that? What was that I just felt? I wonder if there's a way we can prepare our hearts for this gift. We sang the famous carol, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Prepare him room. Is there something we can do in our own lives to sort of be aware, be awake. Joy, like the New Testament reading said this morning, is a fruit of the Spirit. To be sure, it is something that the Holy Spirit cultivates and produces deep down inside of us. But is there something about this soil that we allow to be soft? Is there something about our own hearts that we say, don't don't get hard, don't miss the surprising stabs of joy that break into our heart. Don't let your heart become a hard ground for this fruit of joy. Sometimes I think children are the best clue to this moment. The unexpected joy that comes over the face of it. Wow! And you're like, dude, it's a pancake. It's not that big. I mean, like, it's not, you know. Yes, but you made it in the shape of you know, a dinosaur. And you're like, well, that was unintentional, but yes, that's a dinosaur. <laughs> I read this um, study in the Journal of Psychology this week. This is a little abstract about it, and several news outlets picked it up online. But they did this study about how we remember moments. And they compared people who were in a museum taking pictures of what they saw versus people who walked with no iPhone. No camera, no Instagramming, no just walk. And they said, sure, in the long run, photos will be good because you can go back to it and remember it. But, and it was a small study, so this is, you know, this is not the last word on the subject by any stretch. But it, their initial study showed that people who didn't have any cameras or any devices with them actually remembered more about what they saw than people who did. Now, I know some of you but perhaps from a different generation are saying, I know, I don't, I don't ever have these silly gadgets, you know. And all of, some of you from another generation are saying, oh my gosh, well, how can I share this with anyone if I don't have my phone? What's a meal if it's not Instagram, you know? <laughs> the great philosophical question of our day is not if a tree in the forest falls, will anyone, and no one's there, you know, does it make a sound? The great question of our day is if a meal is not Instagram, does it still taste good, you know? But I wonder what it would be like to cultivate a heart that stops, a heart that listens, a heart that looks, a heart that waits, 
a heart that watches. Perhaps one of the things that makes us miss it, as people in Jesus' day missed it, is because we are sure that joy comes with fanfare. That joy comes in perfect situations. That joy comes when our moment matches an image that we saw in a movie. Or this scene, oh, that's just like that picture. That's why we Instagram it. Because with this look, I want everyone to see what a picture-perfect moment is. And what we fail to recognize is that joy often comes in the unlikeliest of places. C.S. Lewis calls Christianity incurably irreverent because of the incarnation. Incurably irreverent. He's, he's writing, this is a, an excerpt from a piece he's writing about uh, the authorized version, and you know, the, the English are very proud of their sophistication, of proper language, you know, and saying things the right way. I, I, I asked a priest a couple months ago in England, so what do you think of the new Archbishop of Canterbury? Do you mind that he's an evangelical and all this stuff? And he goes, well, he, he speaks properly. <laughs> these things matter, you know. So Lewis is writing and he's saying, you know, <laughs> the incarnation is incurably irreverent because here is this poor girl in a smelly stable surrounded by animals and crudely put together furniture, if you can call it that. And this is how God comes? That's not a picture-perfect moment. That's not where I'm looking for joy. Of all the places we look for joy, we would never have looked in a manger. Of all the places when we were waiting for joy to surprise us, most of us are waiting for joy to surprise us like on a beach in Hawaii or something. If I could just get that, then I know. Then I know I will be surprised by joy. <laughs> if I could just get this and that and this, and then I'll be... And the nativity story reminds us joy comes in the darkest, smelliest, strangest moments and places that all of a sudden in this little manger with this poor girl and confused man and noisy animals and an angry innkeeper, here is the Son of God. Yesterday, or maybe it was, maybe it was Friday, I can't remember which day it was, but we, um, uh, we, we, we took Nora and some of her friends uh, ice skating downtown in Acacia Park. You ever been in the ice skating rink? It's really fun. So we're having this amazing time, a bunch of girls and their friends, and they're just, <laughs> you know, and, uh, which is my life uh, for the next 15 years. And, um, and, and I take this picture, and it's beautiful. The sun is setting behind the mountains. The lights in Tejon are coming on, and the kids are sky It's like, this is beautiful. And then I hear some guy commenting to uh, this person next to him, and he says, you know how much it's costing our city to have this ice rink down here? There's always someone, isn't there? Why does this happen to us in life? Where what's magical all of a sudden becomes, well, you know, you know. <laughs> That's not going to translate well on the podcast. <laughs> Someone somewhere is going to be like, I don't know what he's saying. What happens to us? Why, why does this happen? Do you know beauty is always excessive? You can't monetize a sunset. Jared wrote a song, tongue-in-cheek, in college. Jared Anderson, I think I'll charge tickets to the sunrise. 
the coffee is free and the cream is half price. Obviously, it's all backwards, right? You can't monetize on some of the most beautiful things in the world. Beauty is always excessive. Joy is always too much. And the miser economist in us misses it. If the Son of God were going to come, shouldn't the whole world know? Shouldn't we plan this dramatic entrance and we'll make sure these people are here? And who's on the guest list? Uh, some shepherds. This is bad PR. Where's the, what's the branding about this again? Joy is surprising and it comes in surprising moments in surprising places. But the most important thing we have to say about joy is that this gift of joy comes to us in a person. The gift of joy comes to us in a person. Psalm 16, verse 11, the psalmist says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's what's interesting. There is no Hebrew word for presence. The word is face. The word is face. In your face, there is fullness of joy. See, sometimes, charismatics, we've made presence sort of detached from person. So that the presence of God is something altogether different from God's person. And so we say, God, I want your presence. Like it's something he can just give out, like candy at a parade. Here's my presence. But the Hebrews understood his presence is something different than that. His presence is his face. Now think about Psalm 34 where the psalmist says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces are never covered in shame. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Radiant is a Hebrew idiom for joy. Shining faces was a Hebrew expression to talk about joy. So what the psalmist is saying is when I turn my face to your face, my face begins to shine. Because in your face is joy. And every time my face turns to face you, that's when I see it. That's when I find it. That's when I begin to glow. It's almost as if we are mirrors and he is the sun. And every time we turn toward him, we begin shine. The gift of joy comes to us in a person. See, maybe it's better to say this. We think of joy as a possession, something we either have or don't have. But the Psalms talk to us about joy as a posture. The Psalms talk to us about joy as a posture, that it's not a possession. Do you have joy? I've got the, I've got the joy. joy. You, you don't have joy. Jesus is joy. And every time we turn to him, joy abounds to you. It's not a possession. It's a posture. Lewis, again, just because you can't talk about joy and not talk about C.S. Lewis. His own memoir was called Surprised by Joy, for goodness sake. Lewis talked about how easily we mistake the source of joy. He says, The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. For it was not in them. It only came through them. 
And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols. What is an idol? Anything that we mistake as being the source of joy when it's really the vessel that joy has come through. All of a sudden you say, well, this is what joy comes from. So no, 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 no. joy comes from Jesus But this is what joy comes through. And when you make that mistake of inverting the two, you've just fallen into idolatry. And Lewis says it'll break the hearts of their worshipers, for they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Gosh, that's beautiful. It reminds me of the mistake that babies make about FaceTime. You know, on some of my travels, I'll FaceTime back to Holly and the kids will talk. And the three older kids, they get it. But Jane, you know, Jane's like a year and a half, so she doesn't get it. So she sees my face on the phone and she thinks I'm in the phone. And it's like that Zoolander moment. The files are in the computer. <laughs> so he's in, Dad's in the phone. She's trying to eat the phone, you know. I'm not in the phone. I just came through the phone. We laugh, but this is the mistake we make, isn't it? We find friendship and we think, oh my gosh, this friend is what I've needed. Why doesn't anyone want to be my friend anymore? (laughs) You find something and you get everything out of it. This is my joy. Sometimes that happens even in church, right? I serve. Don't make me stop serving. That's my joy. You know, you should take a break from serving for a little while. (laughs) This is not where joy comes from. It is just what joy has come through. Don't mistake it. See, the one who is joy himself is Jesus. Joy of man's desiring. The choir sang it this morning. Bach's original choir piece There was an English poet named Robert Bridges who wrote the stanzas that the choir sang this morning. I want to read three of them to you slowly so you hear them again. Jesu, joy of man's desiring, holy wisdom, love most bright. Drawn by thee our souls aspiring, soar to uncreated light. Through the way where hope is guiding, hark what peace music rings where the flock in thee confiding drink of joy from deathless springs springs that never die theirs is beauty's fairest pleasure theirs is wisdom's holiest treasure thou dost ever lead thine own in the love of joys unknown Bach's original lyrics were in German A few people have tried different translations for them. Here's one. Jesus remains my joy. My heart's comfort and essence. Jesus resists all suffering. Pushes it. He is my life's strength. My eyes desire and sun. There's that image. My soul's love and joy. So I will not leave Jesus out of heart 
and face. Church, this morning the invitation to you is, will you turn again to the face of Jesus? Will you turn away from the thing that you thought would bring you joy? It's okay to find joy in your job, joy in your work, joy in your relationships, joy in food, joy in music. You can find joy in all of them. Just recognize that joy is coming through them, not from them. That the joy is in Christ himself. And sometimes it means, very, you know what, it always means turning our face away from that thing that we were unconsciously worshiping and turning our face again toward Jesus. Turning my face again toward Jesus. Some of you are saying, well, I, I, what if I don't feel joy? The words of that Advent prayer we prayed this morning is a prayer I'd like to have us pray again. Because that second slide says it this way. It says, strengthen our hearts to believe your promise. I, I don't expect that all of us will feel joy. But I do hope that the Spirit would strengthen our hearts to believe his promise. The joy is coming. The green shoots are coming up out of a dead stump. What you thought was the end is not the end. God is at work. We pray this prayer together before we come to the table. O God of Isaiah and John the Baptist, through all such faithful ones, you proclaim a future joy and renewed life. Strengthen our hearts to believe your Advent promise that one day we will walk in the holy way of Christ where sorrow and sighing will be no more and the journey of God's people will be joy. Bow your heads. Quietly where you are, just begin to say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm turning away. I'm turning away from what I was facing, from what I was beholding, what I was staring at. A job, a relationship, a vacation, an ideal, an image, whatever it was. I, I, I don't want to behold that. I want to behold you. God, forgive me. God, turn my face away from those things and turn my face toward you. Keep orienting my heart around Jesus. Keep orienting my life around Jesus so that through the sorrow and through the pain, something else will rise up. And great will be our joy on that day.